Hi, Tim Roy for Warriors.com. We continue to mock the 2012 NBA draft. Pick number one is in the books, and the, the New Orleans Hornets, no surprise, took Anthony Davis of Kentucky to help us with the second pick of the draft, and that goes to the Charlotte Bobcats. Rick Bennell is with us, longtime observer of the NBA uh, with the Charlotte Observer. And, and uh, Rick, obviously, this is a historic year for Charlotte in all the wrong ways in terms of wins and losses and, you know, I kind of felt bad for the Bobcats on Lottery Day because if it was fair, uh, they would have gotten the number one pick because there was a huge difference between their situation and, say, the Hornets situation. But as we were talking off mic a moment ago, you really can't have a sliding scale in the lottery. It was just a, a, a unlucky day uh, for the Bobcats. You know, it's funny. I've never seen a situation where having the number two pick in the NBA draft seems like such a disappointment, but it really is. Uh, I'm very much reminded, uh, you know, David Falk, who has represented about as, as many big-time NBA players as anyone, you know, Michael Jordan, Patrick Ewing, uh, just a whole great variety of, of fantastic players. Um, I pick David's brain every so often, and I called him up a couple of weeks ago at something else entirely, and we started talking about this draft, and he said, quote, this is a one-player draft. The difference between the second and eighth picks are minuscule. That was his word, minuscule. Uh, it sounds to me like, in some ways, I mean, certainly, obviously, you know, you would like, and it, it's a good thing to know that you're going to have be in control of everybody else in the draft. On the other hand, the difference between one and two is gigantic. Yeah, Anthony no. Davis can't miss. So I'm taking Anthony Davis. No, I guess I can't do that, can I? <laughs> no, you, you can't. <laughs> well, let, let's go back and look at the. Uh... The, the roster for the Bobcats. If you were uh, GM for the day uh, of this roster, and obviously it, it, they had a, a really tough season last year, but who are the keepers on this roster? Uh, there are really only four. If you And what I mean by that is if you combine um, potential with age, and what I mean by age is obviously when you're this far away from being a contender, uh, there are people like Corey Maggette who can still play, but who aren't realistically in your long-term plans. There are really only four. Uh, the two rookies, Bismarck Biombo and Kemba Walker. Uh, Gerald Henderson, for sure. He's, he's clearly the best player on the team. He's certainly the only player with any chance whatsoever, I think, of, of playing in an All-Star game. And then D.J. Augustine, although he falls in kind of a separate category, because he's a restricted free agent who has already turned down a, what I thought was a fairly lucrative extension offer. So I don't know what his future here is. Um, but I guess what I'm getting at is I think Gerald Henderson and Bismarck Biombo, who obviously has a long way to go because while he's just a, a, a Serge Ibaka-like um, player, there are things he, you know, he, he's fairly limited in offensively. I'm thinking that Gerald Henderson and Bismarck Biombo are the only two players on this roster currently who other teams would covet. With it's not a good thing when only two player, players in your entire roster are people who you, you'd have any realistic chances of using as a commodity. That's true. It, Rich Cho, did he go to, to Michael Jordan and say, hey, look, you know what, uh, we may be not very good this year, but, but we're going to take the steps in the right direction. Was this a year where they had to maybe take a step back to go forward? Yes, although, um, Tim, think about it. It's kind of like they did a rain dance and they received a hurricane. 
I mean, it wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, they expected it to get worse. Did they ever anticipate it being this bad? No. And while I totally understand why, from Jeff Van Gundy's point of view, you know, Jeff basically accused the front office of tanking. No, he didn't basically, he did. And while I totally understand the point that Jeff was making, what that disregards is that injuries amplified the issues here greatly. Um, we came up with something rather interesting right after the season was over. The five players who in December during training camp Paul Silas intended to start the first regular season game. There was not a single game the entire season when all five of those players started together. That's amazing, isn't it? It is. It's truly amazing. I think the one thing fans constantly underestimate is the impact of injuries on teams, especially teams that aren't don't don't have the the star or or the the star type player because the the margin of error in the NBA is so thin. I mean, if you're if you're a team that's a, say a 40 in a normal season, if you're a 500 team and you miss two of your rotation players, that's huge for you. I mean, that's, that's Tim, you're you know, right. And the other thing that amplifies all those dynamics that much more is this lockout season. I don't just mean because of the lockout. I mean because of the way the schedule. You, know, you you played six, what sixty six games in one hundred and twenty three days. That hurt young, inexperienced teams so much more. I mean, I, it's not a it's not a coincidence that the Celtics and the Spurs are in the final four of the NBA. Those teams they know each other, they know who they are, they're experienced enough that they don't need to practice and still be ready for games. It was very different if you were trying to to put together a bunch of people who had never played before and looked like a competitive team much harder what do you think paul silas is telling his television screen when he sees boris dial play the way he's played in the in the postseason i think he's laughing <laughs> i mean i think <laughs> and, and but but to answer the question you're really asking me yes i think that there are people in the bobcats organization that that are that resent the fact that boris seems so incredibly disinterested that you know um del curry who is you know the, the television analyst here who played obviously forever in the league with the Hornets and a bunch of other teams. You know, Dell is not what I would call, well, you know, know, Steph's dad. He's an incredibly nice person. Dell is not prone to saying mean things about people. The other day on local radio, um, Dell was asked about Boris, and he said, I think when he was here, he was unprofessional, and I think that's a very, I think that's a very, very fair yet harsh word to use. Yeah, that it's it's too bad too because he's got talent. Obviously, he's got some talent, but but to to dog it the way he did was just not very very good. How's uh, how's Reggie Williams? Um, Reggie's a pro. Uh, you know, you can real uh, Tim. I'm curious if you'll agree with me about this. You can see that uh, the uh, the military school background in him. He's you know he's a very bright, very self disciplined person. Um, the knee obviously was an issue. Um, but Reggie's good here. The, the issue they're having, quite frankly, is that you know when he was shooting 41% from three-point range, some of that was a function of, well, who are you going to guard? You're going to guard Steph Curry first? You're going to guard Monte Ellis first? You're going right. to cover David Lee first? Well, he had a lot of open looks. It's, the, 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 the parallel I would give you is, do we think Cowie Leonard is just a, a heck of a lot better player than anybody thought when he was drafted, or is he fortunate enough to be playing with Three Hall of Famers. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, the 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 role player on a great team 
when you know you hear people debate on on possible trades, I'm always leery about that player because, you know, like you said, he's getting some some open looks. He, he's he's not the guy that you're game planning for uh, in shoot around. So it's it's a lot different. And and also too, a lot of Reggie's open looks came because of the pace the Warriors were playing at that time. They're playing a quick pace, and you can get an open look off the fast break off that. And, and so it's a it's a different style, and I think a lot of players thrive in that, and maybe that's the kind of team that Reggie eventually will have to find again. Tim, can I give you an example from the current playoffs? Sure. There are, you know, the, the Bobcats have potentially, if they want to use the amnesty clause in a, in a really dramatic way, they can build up to $21 million in room under the cap. There are average fans here who think they should throw all that money, well, not all of it, but I mean a vast majority of it, um, at an offer sheet for James Harden. And my reaction to that is James Harden's a very, very good player in this league who's playing with Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook and Serge Ibaka and Kendrick Perkins. Is he really a, a max player, or is he a player who's very good but benefiting from who he's playing with? Right, right, and that's 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 the problem, and and you know the 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 situation is you know for a team like Charlotte and the Warriors are you know in in that boat a little, little ways too is that you have to find guys that are not only in in the free agent market that are also willing to come there and willing to play there, and so that that's the other part of the equation. You know, you get to well, you just gotta go get this guy. Well, maybe that guy's not coming there. You know, I mean, he's that's where he, I think the Warriors were really lucky to get their hands on David Lee. You know, exactly. It, it was a it, they they had an obvious problem. You know, obviously, I'm very close to Steph's situation. I I was the one who, by coincidence, went to tell Steph that they were about to to get Lee, and he was excited beyond description because he had that pick and roll guy now. Right. Um, you you know you need to find surgical answers to surgical problems. Yeah, and it it, it filled a, a need, and it's also you get you get a, a good player that's now he's yours for years to come, and then you start right. building around which they're trying to do now with with Andrew Bogut. Uh, how, how's the uh, coaching search going for the Bobcats? <laughs> they have interviewed by my last count 473 people. Uh, <laughs> it's um, it's quite a list, and obviously the whole process started with Mike Malone. Um, it you know I mean the, the, literally they have interviewed 10 people. And the vast majority of them are, you know, young assistants. Counterbalancing that is, you know, they, they interviewed Jerry Sloan. They interviewed Nate McMillan. Um, I honestly don't know who the co- next coach is going to be. They're, they're finally at a place now where I think they're going to start paring down the list. I'm guessing it will be, well, we're, we're talking now um, the, the day before Chicago pre-draft camp starts. I would think that there's a chance they may have a coach by the end of next week. Um, I, if you're, if you, you, you know, it's very hard for me to handicap the list. I will tell you that I'm very intrigued by Jerry Sloan because he wants to do it. I'm impressed with the fact that he isn't one of those people who just, you know, who, who at his age would only be interested in like a hand-picked roster where he can't help but win. Jerry's a very good teacher, and for that reason, what they need more than anything else is somebody who teaches. And just think oh, about the. I think the he'd fa- be a very interesting. I think he'd be a very interesting choice. I think he'd be a great choice in the sense where he not only is a teacher, but he also would would lay the foundation of a culture that would would get the team in a, in a going in a very professional and and you know with the attitude being that's about working and winning. 
You know, that's that's the, to me the thing with, with Jerry in Utah was always so impressive was it was he they just laid the you know the gauntlet down to those players. Hey, we're all about putting getting into your work and making yourself better and making yourself better so we can win more games. And and I was always impressed with that. Tim, I hear you. So long as everybody is on the same page, and the way I mean that is, if I were Jerry, the difficult question I'd be asking the Bobcats is. When I tell you something isn't working basketball-wise, are you prepared to do something about it? In other words, as this is an example. Obviously, Ghana Chop has been a, 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 mis, a very expensive non-contributor here. If I'm Michael Jordan, I say to uh, uh, you know, I, I say to Jerry, you know, you got to see if you can get something out of this guy. But if there were a point when Jerry said, "I can't make it work," then Jordan has to go ahead and bite the bullet. And in in, in the reverse. I think that if I were Michael, the very difficult question I would ask Jerry is, you say that you want this job and that you're not worried about you know, re- losses going on your record. At 70, are you patient enough to stay positive? Because i got to tell you, you know, who, the people on this roster are establishable. They're young, and they were truly beaten up in so many different ways by last season. They don't need a screamer. They don't need a person who's full of negativity. I'm not implying that, Jerry. I'm not implying that at all. I'm saying that anybody who, anybody who's being considered for that job, that's one of the questions I'd ask them is, are you willing to have the patience to work your way through, the, through, through what's going to be a couple of very challenging years? All right, Rick, it's time now to uh, make your selection. Anthony Davis is off the board. Obviously, he is now uh, working for the Hornets. Uh, if the Bobcats have this uh, second pick, who do you think they would go with here? Well, it's interesting you say if, because I think that it's, I think it's entirely possible that they will listen to any and all trade offers. And I'm not saying they're trying to get rid of it. I'm saying that um, this is the pick where you really need to be creative, particularly since you have the cap room. You know that you could do something. I mean, the war, you know, remember the tra- the pick, the uh, trade they made with the Warriors a few years ago, where they basically traded uh, what was it, the eighth or ninth pick. For and and cap room for Jason Richardson. Right. I'm saying they, I, I'm saying that kind of creative solution um, that they might look into that. If the, assuming that they're actually going to draft one of these kids, I think that it's going to come down to Thomas Robinson versus Kid Gilchrist versus Beal from Florida versus Drummond from Connecticut. I think if you've got a choice between those four people, and I don't say this with massive confidence. I think that I think probably the safest thing to do, and therefore maybe the most likely thing to do, is to go ahead and take Thomas Robinson because at worst he's going to be a really, really good NBA player. Yes. Yeah, so, so, Kid Gilchrist, that that's a guy that I'm I'm intrigued with. They, they would be interested in him as well, too, right? Oh, I, I mean, I, without a doubt, they'd be interested in him. My question about Kid Gilchrist, because Anthony Davis was going to be such a big deal here, I went and saw two or three Kentucky games live this season. Um, my, my concern about Kid Gilchrist is whether his body matches his skill set. He's got uh-huh. to be a three in the NBA. And in, in a Gerald Wallace kind of way, um, he doesn't currently have either the, the jump shooting nor the ball handling ability to do the things that we classically assign to a three. Um, I'm not saying he can't grow into it. Obviously, Gerald, you know, turned himself into a, to a, to an all-star, but... Uh, it always makes me nervous when you use a really, really high pick on a player where his size and his skill set don't seem to match. Right, and, Tom, and Thomas Robinson. the wild card, by the way. 
and 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 Thomas Robinson is a guy that he brings a little more maturity too. He's twenty one years of age, and his character is off the board. I, you've probably heard the backstory about you know a couple of death, a couple of very sad, unexpected deaths in the family. He lost his mother. He has a half sister who he's he's uh, taken a huge role in, in raising back in in, in Washington D.C. Um, he's just he's a, a, an executive on another lottery team told me he is absolutely in so many different ways the safest guy you know that he's you know that between between the fact that you know what you're getting even if you don't think his ceiling is all that high and the fact that this is a grown-up and a smart player and a person whose character is off the board so i think that's what it comes down to as far as why you would take robinson if they take Robinson. rick bonnell always a pleasure to talk some uh, some hoop with you and continue success in your coverage of the bobcats well, you know, I always take care of that, those fellow upstate New York guys, right? <laughs> That's right. we gotta got to stick together. We suffered through too many winters to not stick together in, in the good climates. So there it is, pick number two of our 2012 NBA mock draft. We continue to mock the draft. Thomas Robinson of Kansas going to the Charlotte Bobcats. Anthony Davis, the outstanding forward from Kentucky, going to the New Orleans Hornets. So two picks on the board right now in our 2012 mock draft. Coming up next, the Washington Wizards with pick number three. For all your draft coverage, keep it here at Warriors.com. I'm Tim Roy.